You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut to the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, it's Katie, and this is another episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast. On today's episode, I have Chris Chappelle, who is a nurse practitioner out of Dallas, Texas. He owns IV Hydropros and has grown this multi-million dollar business. He now owns multiple uh, locations. He owns multiple businesses. He has grown over eight businesses and is now doing consulting in IV hydration injections, hormone replacement, all kinds of stuff. You got to check this out. Now, just a caveat, the recording got cut off a little bit. So when the interview starts, Chris is in mid-sentence. What you missed was I asked him about his background as a nurse practitioner. And he, his primary, his first job was working. He was a football player and he was a football player for many, many years. He was, he played football in Europe and then sustained one too many injuries. He ended up moving to Oklahoma where he started out his nursing career and the interview picks up when he moves to Texas and that's what you'll hear next. And I did that for probably about six or seven years and then I moved here to Texas uh, after working with HCA and uh, actually, um, my specific job title uh, or my credential is a clinical nurse specialist. So a lot of people have never heard of uh, heard of that uh, uh, that nursing uh, uh, title. But basically, what that encompasses a lot of it is based on education. So a lot of places where they may have not have had nurse practitioner programs or they needed psych providers, they end up using clinical nurse specialists to obviously do the initial psych evaluations and medication management for psychiatric patients. So a lot of my career was based, you know, uh, based on treating uh, patients with uh, uh, different uh, diagnoses and, uh, uh, you know, different things related to the, the, psych, uh, uh, the psych specialty. And so after moving to Texas, I kind of, you know, I got more into trauma. I became uh, more of a trauma specialist, working in a lot of trauma hospitals, working in trauma surgeries. And uh, I got to the point where I decided, you know, I'm probably not going to become an executive. Just simply because <laughs> that's just the reality of it. So I'm like, they're not going to appoint me to, to an executive. So if I want to really advance and get where I want to be, I'm probably going to have to step out there on a limb and step out on faith. So about six years ago, uh, I left the hospital and started my own company, uh, which was an IV company. And, uh, you know, it was really, uh, it was really a shocking experience. It was like, you know, taking on a new endeavor and jumping out of a plane with no parachute. And so... So you mean you didn't have a plan, like an exact blueprint of what you were going to do? <laughs> I thought I had a plan. But, you know, the reality of it is, you know, I really didn't have what I thought what was really necessary. And that's the beauty of it because, you know, if you they always tell you, you know, if you're going to start something, go ahead and start it. You're never going to be fully prepared. Just like people say, well, I want to wait till I'm ready to have kids. You're never going to be ready. So the main thing is just getting started. You know, obviously you want to have – you know, a few things, uh, you know, planned and prepared, but I mean, there's never going to be the perfect preparation or the perfect amount of having everything in line to get started. So, and that's basically what I did. I got started and it was like, I'll just figure it out as I go. And I ended up growing, you know, the IV therapy business, you know, very, very uh, large. Uh, my first IV company, uh, 
We did over a million dollars in revenue in one year. Uh, we were in over 26 different locations. And uh, I got to the point where I decided, hey, I, I think I can do even more and make this more fulfilling. And then I started, you know, uh, basically uh, opening up different uh, brands of IV companies, helping uh, nurses and entrepreneurs that wanted to get into the business. And so I would build businesses and brands, which has now built me to, uh, I do consulting, you know, help people, you know, decide if they want to do it yourself, if they want to do it with me in kind of a business in the box uh, type concept. Uh, I now have a string of uh, med medical clinics that kind of focus on regenerative and anti-aging medicine. So uh, basically a more holistic approach and more customization for individuals' health care. So it's not just IVs anymore. It's uh, hormone optimization. It's uh, PRP and stem cell therapies, treating uh, different comorbidities and chronic uh, uh, illnesses such as you know chronic pain, diabetes, hypertension, and helping people to maximize their quality of life and you know that's what my big focus is on now empowering people educating them and giving them the tools they need to be successful well i mean that's that's quite a lot <laughs> that's pretty amazing so let me let me step you back a second because a lot of my the the nurses in this group are at the stage of oh gee you know an IV hydration company sounds like a great idea but, um, you know, not sure where to take it from there. And I also want to kind of point out that you're a nurse practitioner in the state of Texas, which is not an independent state by any stretch of the imagination. Like, it's a very difficult state to do independent practice in. Um, so, you know, it would almost be like uh, a, just a, not just a nurse, but a nurse starting an IV hydration clinic and an NP starting an IV hydration clinic, there'd be a lot of similarities uh, in that you would both need some sort of medical director, right? Absolutely. And so through trial and error, you know, obviously I had, I had a medical director from day one. Uh, but the hard part is figuring out the sweet spot because obviously, you know, IV company is not going to generate the same revenue as a hospital or emergency services or things of that nature. So coming up with a contractual agreement that's you know friendly and realistic uh, and setting those expectations and you know for doctors is new for you know this type of thing is new but uh you know basically i was able to figure it out through lots of attorneys and spending money and figuring out the best ways to organize those different contracts uh we were able to make it you know very very successful and so now uh with different uh, nurse practitioners or uh different uh, medical providers that want to start those types of companies I have all the contracts and templates, you know, say, look, this is the path I went down. This is where you don't want to go. This is a good place to start out at. And so, you know, once you are able to understand really what your business is doing and where it's going and what your requirements and necessities are, it really helps you to pick the perfect provider that's willing to work with you. A lot of times, you know, doctors want to partner, partner in the business, which can be, you know, a plus, but it just kind of depends on the situation. So, um, for the most part, you know, getting that part done is, that's normally the easy part, you know, getting the medical director in place based on what the parameters are and standing orders of the facility are fairly easy. It's more the interworkings of the actual business operation that most people fail to appreciate. You know, as nurse, uh, nurse practitioners, mid-level providers and things of that nature, you know, our care is focused on management of the patient's care, management of their treatment plan, making sure it's up to date, you know, all that we have all the information regarding their health and, and physical. When you're running a business, it's an entirely different concept. It's, you know, based on metrics, you know, it's based on operations, control, 
uh, financials. You know, business is a machine. Healthcare is, you know, is in a sense is a machine, but it's more, uh, you know, like an algorithm. You know, you're going, you know, step by step. Business operates a little bit differently. So when you're trying to combine the two, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go out here and start my own clinic. I'm going to start my own business. It requires a little bit more in-depth training and understanding because sometimes managing the patient care and running the business may not intertwine. So you have to be prepared and able to make changes in, in order to adapt for that. So, you know, that should be considered when you know, starting a business. And I always recommend someone find a mentor. You know, obviously, if you're good in healthcare, you may not be strong in business or in finance. So always, always try to partner yourself with a mentor who has the strengths that you lack or can make up for the deficiencies that you have. So that way you can ask them questions. You can balance or bounce ideas off of them. Uh, you can make sure that you're headed in the, in the right direction. So when you go down that path, you have someone that can say, hey, have you thought about it this way? Or maybe look at it another way. You know, because the goal of any business owner is to obviously make the business autonomous and make it where the business is operating, whether you're there or not. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, I just want to have my own business where you know I'm doing everything and running everything. That's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that either. But the goal of a business entrepreneur is, you know, really plug and play. Like, set it up, you know, perfect it, maximize and optimize it. If you want to stay at one location, that's perfectly fine. But if you want to be able to get to multiple locations and get to higher levels, it has to be able to be replicated. If your business is tied to you, you alone, it's technically not a business. You, know, you can call it a practice or a hustle. But if you really want to make it a business, it has to have... Uh, systems in place and be able to replicate, evolve, and grow. And that's, you know, what I focus on now. Uh, We're developing, uh, you know, people's business acumen and the different skill sets so they can make the proper decisions and adjustments uh, to facilitate those changes and become prosperous. Yeah. So, and and again, you've, you've said a lot in that too. So the one thing that I did want to mention was, uh, you know, what you said about the medical director and, you know, whether or not he's part of the business versus a paid, you know, consultant in the business, I think is a a big point to uh, consider because a lot of people, when they're first starting out in the business and there's no money coming in and all you can see are expenses going out, you're like, oh, my friend wants to help me or this doctor wants to be part of the business and he wants to be 50-50. And I can tell you from experience, like, uh, you know, I did that with one of my surgeons. We're like, let's do this company. It sounds great. We're going to do 50-50. And his 50% was to tell me to go get clients. And I'm like, but I don't know how to get clients. And he's like, well, I don't know how to get clients. I'm like, well, this is a bad partnership, obviously. Like, this isn't going to work. I don't need you (laughs) in this business. So I think it's an important thing to really sort out. Like, it's, it's not enough that your friend wants to help you. It's like, what is this person bringing to the table and what are they worth in your business? Because you really have to think about the business. What if it were making a million dollars? You have a much different mindset as opposed to, yeah, I got to put out $10,000 to make this work. Exactly. So, uh, you know, what I recommend most people do is what they call risk mitigation. So the first concept is like, I'm going to have a business. It doesn't matter if you're selling toothpicks, tennis shoes, you know, any type of widget. But from day one, you have to, you, I read, strongly recommend if it's, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars, you pay the amount to go sit down with an attorney and say, look, I want to do this business. I want to draft an agreement. I want to own my, own my own business. And if you are considering a partnership, Partnering someone who is another nurse practitioner is probably not the best interest. Now, if you want to have a practice, that is a completely type, different type of thing to set up a practice. They can be in your practice, but does, do not have to be 
part owner in the business. So initially from day one, you need to make sure that you have contracts and agreements in place. Because that's where a lot of people get taken advantage of. You end up in litigation, you end up in court. And then there's he said versus she said versus starting off from day one and having a clear, concise operating agreement and plan for your business. You don't have to know how to create one. That's why attorneys are there. So to make sure that your interests are protected. And if you are considering a partner, the interest should be protected as well. And if anyone understands how a business operates, so we talk about a partnership. So 50-50 is never the best situation for a business because no one, no, no one person has majority. So without majority, how are decisions gonna get made? If you have 51% 49, then you are capable of making this financial decisions and things for that business. And as far as equity distribution, obviously from day one, your business isn't worth anything because you have not built that book of business unless you have some type of patented software, equipment, or technology. So you have to be realistic as far as evaluating your business and how much money you're going to put in to start it up. And based on that also, the amount, you know, can you put a dollar amount of your time? You can, but that's not how it's really going to be valued in the real world. So strongly consider these things before entering into business relationships and partnerships with somebody just because they want to be a friend and help you. If they want to be a friend and help you, have them send a sign of 1099. Write an agreement that says once the business becomes profitable, we'll pay you this amount of proceeds. But as far as giving up ownership, if they're investing money and time, then that's something you need to sit down and evaluate. You know, a lot of times if you get involved with a doctor, the common notion is they're not going to do anything. They're just going to be there and collect the check. And just like with any other place, I mean, there's more than enough doctors to go around. So don't feel like you have to be held hostage. You know, like if you want a doctor to be active and participate in your practice, then you write that into your uh, medical director agreement. It says they have to spend six hours a week, uh, you know, going over charts or conversing with you or coming up with a plan or reviewing protocols. Those are standards that you set as a business owner. And guess what? If they don't like it, you just get another medical director. There are, you know, 250,000 physicians in the United States. So I'm sure that you will be able to find someone else who's willing to work with you. So in a strong indication, if you cannot come to an agreement with someone, chances are you should not be doing business with them. So if you can't even get through, you know, uh, casual conversation and casual agreements on just basic information and basic, basic exchanges, probably are not going to want to go down that road and be in partnership and business with that same person. That's just going to land you in court with a lot of heartache and pain and spending a lot of unnecessary money that could otherwise go into your business, go into investments, or just go for your general well-being and, and uh, survival. Yeah, I, I think those are the horror stories that, that you hear about, and there probably were red flags all along the way. Just, you know, like you can't get through a simple conversation. You can't agree on, you know, what this person is going to do. And, you know, I, I think there is a general deference that the general public has, maybe even some nurses to the doctor's status, but in business, it's a completely different relationship and they do just become, you know, just in some practices, a, a necessary part of the business process. Um, in, in states where the nurse practitioners are completely independent, is it still necessary for them to have a medical director? So let's just say Iowa, for instance. Iowa is a state that uh, nurse practitioners can practice independently. Now, you know, this is what I recommend from a legal standpoint. So when you set up, you go see an attorney, you set up your LLC, you set up your agreement, your company, even this, even this just with you, 
okay? And then when you have your malpractice, you're gonna cover yourself under the malpractice agreement. I would somehow have a consulting physician agreement built in, because that way they're gonna say, well, how did you say, you know, determine that this mode of treatment was judicious or this treatment plan was efficacious? You can say, well, I went to school and learned this. Well, okay, you're a nurse practitioner. You don't have the clinical, you know, uh, capability of determining if this treatment is going to work out long-term for a patient. But if you say, well, I have a consulting physician and he is specialized or board certified in this field and we converse and discuss on these options, even if you just have a way of documenting that, that, always, that is always going to give validity to what you're doing. Also, I encourage independent practitioners to go to as many CME training courses as possible. Talk to the people there that are putting it on. Make sure you keep up with those credentials, especially if it's like anti-aging or hormone replacement therapy or one of those things that you're passionate about treating people in because that's a big factor as well. Having the education and learning the latest trends and capabilities for those treatments is very important. And how about like, so does the physician generally help you come up with like the formulas that go into these IV bags or is that like a, um, a pharmacist that you would consult with or how does that work? Well, I mean, unfortunately, there's no straight cut answer. I mean, there's no book written on that says you have to do formulas like this. Now, there are basic things that you can use to calculate such as osmolality, osmolarity, and then uh, pharmacokinetics, looking at you know, renal clearance and half-lives. So, I mean, if you want to take the time, you can actually sit down and create formulas because most of the stuff is non-patented, you know, meaning like vitamin C or magnesium. There's not a whole lot of studies. It's like if you mix this in a compound, what's going to happen? So the closest thing that you can correlate with is uh, parental nutrition, either total parental or peripheral parental nutrition. And as long as you're not giving someone a higher dosage than they're capable of metabolizing, there's really no wrong answer per se. Uh, you know, physicians, you know, they may or may not know. There's not a set school that people go to on how to you know, make IV formularies. They just know compatibilities. And obviously for trade, uh, trademark medications or antibiotics, uh, you know, or different things that are given IV suspension, uh, you know, having a good pharmacist to ask questions to is definitely a benefit. There are tons of compounding pharmacies across the country. They may not advise you as far as like, here's a formulary for how to dose things and put it in there. How I figured it out was just kind of, you know, not really trial and error, but I mean, I've worked in, uh, you know, detox facilities. I've worked in critical care. And, and a lot of times the intensivists left it up to me to dose uh, the TPN based on the lab work. And so by doing that and not having resources, working in, you know, county facilities, you know, I even worked in Kings County, New York, where the, you know, uh, anesthesiologist is the critical care provider or the intensivist is not available. And they say, look, this is the protocol. You work with the pharmacist and figure it out. Or when I worked in trauma, the pharmacist literally called me when we were looking for, you know, different concoctions or how to make critical care drips and things of that nature. So, I mean, I was always in one down in the, ER in the OR, you know, mixing my own tropes, chronotropes, you know, epi drips, you know, neoprepin drips, uh, you know, asking for regitine, and most people don't even know what regitine is. Uh, I think they've even taken it off the market, but, you know, I would get people for leave, leave a fed when they come in with septic shock or, you know, you know, be extremely hypotensive, and, you know, if, unless we had a central line, regitine is a uh, is an antidote for infiltration from levofed. And I can't tell you how many pharmacists didn't even know what I was talking about. So, you know, just, you know, case in point, my experience dictated my knowledge and allowed me to evolve that 
Uh, I created over uh, 100 different IV formularies that I've used to treat patients from, you know, basic things such as fluid and cold all the way to, you know, MS or other autoimmune disorders. So, you know, do your research, you know, empower yourself. Because even if you do have a, a place that you buy formula formularies from, you still want to be able to have the knowledge because what if that source is not available that day or you're asked specific questions or someone's interrogating you. Always empower yourself with knowledge. And then, you know, you, you will always be sure that you're not, you know, disenfranchised. You know, have the information, have the power. Right. No, that sounds like uh, the great advice. Um, Chris, take us back to your first clinic that you opened up. Like, uh, how long did it take you to kind of set that up? And what were like the major challenges that you that you got into? And what would be some like advice tips for people that are getting ready to do something like this? Uh, it was like a Chinese fire drill, to be honest with you. I thought <laughs> I had everything together. I thought I knew everything. And I really didn't. So it was quite the journey. You know, and I opened up, I'm like, okay, where's all the customers at? Um, the planning is just basically, you know, I, I created a manual and created, you know, SOPs and, you know, put all this fancy stuff together. But I didn't realize that just because I built it, that they're going to just come out of the woodwork and become customers. So it really takes time. Even if you spend tons of money on advertising, there's nothing better than the organic factor. And so the biggest challenge for me was actually human relations. Because in healthcare, not always tell you how to talk to your patients, have the appropriate bedside manner. But just think about it. If they're there because, you know, they have, you know, uh, fluid overload or they have congested heart failure, your goal is not to be their friend, it's to get them better, uh, you know, at whatever cost because it's a critical issue. Versus when you have a business, they don't have to come. Customers have options. So you have to placate them and do what's necessary to provide that higher level of customer service so they have a good impression. So they think about your business and that they actually want to come back. So focusing on that patient experience or customer experience. And I think that was the, the biggest changing factor. Once I moved from, oh, I'm a you know, knowledgeable medical person to I'm actually in customer service and I'm a salesman, that changed everything. And that is hard for physicians. It's hard for nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, nurses, I mean, all the way, you know, every uh, specialty. I mean, that's a very difficult transition. So as you learn that, and it's an ongoing thing, you're never perfect at it, learn it, improve it, and figure out how to replicate it. Those are gonna be, that's gonna be part of your, your mainstay and some of the foundational pieces that you'll use to be successful. My first business was not impressive. I mean, we literally started in a gym. Uh, I had a friend that owned a gym, and he said, look, I have some space you can turn into an office, and literally, me and a couple of friends built it out, turned it into an office, and we started doing IVs in there. And the doctor came in there and was just like, okay, I guess it works. And he, he started working out, but it wasn't like, you know, oh, this is awesome. This is beautiful. And then the next place we moved to was literally a building down the street from the gym, which was not impressive at all. And, you know, we started doing, you know, buying trailers and doing mobile services. And, you know, I, I you know, started to figure out how to make the metrics work and actually make it a business as opposed to, oh, I'm doing IVs here and there. So it's just all about the journey. You know, take your time, you know, envision your success and what you want it to be. There's no set answer. I mean, there are wrong things, but there's no one that says, here's the roadmap, go driving. It's more like this is a winding road with, you know, dead ends and detours and, you know, roundabouts. And you may even have to go in reverse and turn around a couple of times, but it's your journey and take pride in that. And once it becomes a passion for you, the the keys to the roadmap, you will figure out and find out along the way. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, one important thing that you said there, too, is is just kind of those humble beginnings. It's not like you went out and bought the front office and lavish, uh, you know, design and spend all your money on beautiful chairs and lounge and, and whatnot, that you were really just focused on, all right, let's get the clients, let's go where the clients are, and, and a gym is that's certainly not fancy, uh, you know, but you were there and they needed you, and that was like a good start. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't have the resources and funds. I went to banks and they told me it's not a realistic investment. It's, you know, <laughs> it's a very high risk uh, investment proposal. And so literally I took my 401k and I worked at the hospital for three or four years while I was building up this business until I just got to the point I was so busy. I had to give up my, I didn't have a choice. I had to give up the job at the hospital. And so, you know, you know, do the best with what you can maximize your capabilities with the small amounts because if you can't manage with having uh, a small amount believe it or not you won't be able to ha uh, manage when you have a lot so just you know take the small steps you don't have to have the top line best of everything because i can tell you a lot of med spas and physicians office i went into they had granite countertops and you know pristine flooring and expensive chandeliers and they're literally out of business because their overhead is you know you know seventy five thousand dollars a month you know, amongst other things, and it's just not sustainable because they didn't have the volume of patients. So you know, try to stay as humble and as low cost as you possibly can. And my thing is like this, look at McDonald's. I mean, it's not the most extravagant business model in the world, but look how many they're open. They're like over almost 4,000 McDonald's on planet Earth, and they don't have granted in any of them. But I guarantee you they made more than probably 97% of all the other companies on planet Earth, you know? consistency streamlining and minimizing their ex extra costs you know so I mean that's what a business is and that's what you, know, you really have to wrap your head around right and I think there's something to be said about starting out small and just getting that customer experience down pat because you don't want to start out with again the granite counters in this beautiful place and then you get these nasty reviews on Yelp saying that you didn't answer the phone or you didn't do this and you didn't do that and the next thing you know you, you have to move because we have to change the name or something but like starting out small really getting that customer experience down and then scaling that out like it, it's a hard concept I think for, for some people to wrap their minds around because they want to go big real fast and it's just like you can do a lot of harm going big real fast because you can't handle the volume or you don't know what really works or what the best, um, you know, flow is. Right. I mean, that, and to that, I mean, that's, and that's what I did. I tried to grow fast and there were a lot of hiccups. So, you know, you really have to change your focus from growing really fast to producing a really good product or service. And if you focus on producing the product or service, everything else will kind of happen around that. Because if you start focus, focusing on growing too fast, one thing you will start doing is you will start chasing the money. And as you chase the money, you'll get outside of what your normal parameters were because you're just chasing the money. And so you get so far away from what you were initially doing that, you know, you end up, you know, being total chaos and no one can replicate it or follow up. So it becomes very confusing. Right. So stay with, you know, what you're designed to do, what you plan for, and just, you know, have faith in that and just continue to follow in that, you know, footsteps and paths. Now, obviously, if you see an opportunity and it makes sense and this can be incorporated and not cause total disarray, then you can incorporate that. But don't just go on a, a terror where you're just chasing whatever new thing comes. You know, stay focused and stay on your uh, drive for accomplishing your initial mission. 
Yeah, no, and I, I've seen a lot of that too. Like people are like, yeah, I'm going to do high IV hydration and then I'll add in CBD oil and then, you know, I'll do a meditation in the, the IV hydration clinic and I'm going to do this and this. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> well, let, let's do one thing at a time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, you can be a, uh, a jack of all and an expert of none. So you want to make sure that uh, you know, you're focusing on your strong points. Like if IV therapy is what you want to do and you have other skill sets such as you know primary care, then you say, hey, we'll do IV therapy and we'll do concierge medicine. Those are two things that complement each other. But if you have two things that don't complement, it makes it a lot uh, harder to maintain those. Because obviously if it's something special to like meditation or yoga, are you going to have the staff and the overhead to support that when you get busy with you know, the IV therapy and things of that nature? So, you know, you got to be realistic in your approach as well. You know, even though you may like the meditation and there's nothing wrong with that, that may not be the business model, you know? So you just have to, you know, that's where common sense and having uh, a person that's a mentor that, you know, has excelled in several fields comes into play because they can say, hey, that may be great. That sounds good, but they probably won't put, put food on the table at the end of the night, you end up wasting more resources than you will, you know, gain. So that's probably not a good decision to add into your normal course of, of routine, you know, for your business. Uh, so how long was it before you opened, uh, I guess, the first clinic and the, the iterations of that clinic to you decided, well, let me open the second, third, fourth, and then started helping, like consulting pe with people? So I would say within the first, uh, by the end of the first year, we had secured uh, multiple locations. And so, you know, by the end of the year one, which was my goal, was to be in multiple locations. Year two was refining the process and, 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 branding, and branding and development. So in, you don't have to put time limits on these types of things. I think you should have a goal and say, hey, within 24 months, this is our goal. But realistically, if you can't cover the overhead for one location, you definitely should not try to, you should not try to open the second one. So, you know, luckily with the volume of services that we were doing, uh, by year three, I was able to remove myself from day-to-day -day routine and go focus on growth of the business. And so really at the end of year three is when I really started to focus on, uh, you know, collaborating, you know, licensing, you know, and partnering people to grow other brands and to help them, you know, uh, obtain a business for themselves and become entrepreneurs. And now that's, you know, probably my predominant focus is helping physicians, doctors, just regular business people that want to have a business. If it correlates to medicine, that's even better, you know, because that's my forte. But even if not, you know, you know, business, you know, once you start a business, a business is actually like a person, you know, and you have to treat it as such, you know, as a you know, fully operational machine and give it that attention. And once you understand the mechanisms of a business, even though two businesses aren't alike, the same concepts of businesses are the same uh, for successful businesses. And once you figure out that strategy, you figure out a good template for implementation. And you know that's what we focus on. Focus on now is having that, you know, higher level of you know uh, capability to install and maintain, improve, and then replicate uh, those same concepts and ideals. And that will permeate the business. And that will allow you to grow, you know, not to grow exponentially, but, you know, grow at a controlled rate. So that way, that way, calculate your expenses, you can calculate, you know, your revenue, and you can make, you know, have cost containment uh, within that time. Because the faster you grow, the more money it's going to take. So unless you have like a, you know, daddy Warbucks sitting around ready, ready to write checks, it's just not realistic. 
You know, if you, in order for realistically to grow a sustainable business, it needs to be self-funded. I mean, you can go out and get a high interest loan, get a line of credit and those types of things, but you, know, you still got to pay those back. So realistically, Needs to be self-funded, and once you're self-funded, growing and things of that nature, you want to take out lines of credit to, you know, buy equipment or buy things that you know and you've proven that you can have a turnaround and generate revenue to pay that off. That's when you go do those things. But typically, most people say five years is a proving time for a business model to show if it's stable, if it can, you know, ebb and flow with the market, and then if it can be replicated. You know, so just use that as a, a, a bookmark uh, to kind of just see, you know how you gauge in, in correlation to other businesses. So you um, ended up starting, uh, you were doing hormones and injectables and uh, a variety of other things. Like how did that come about and how did you decide to put that in the business as well? So I kind of saw that IVs were kind of uh, starting to plateau. I mean, cause there's only so many people that are willing to do IVs. It was kind of recreational and you know, without having a full encompassing, you know, medical service, it's kind of hard to really, you know, get people on track. And then we want customers for a lifetime, not just one and done. With IVs, you know, it's a season, they may do it for a period of time, but it's not gonna be doing IV therapy for the rest of their life. Versus, you know, uh, our more holistic and comprehensive approach, we have different modalities and treatments that we can implement that all correlate, they're all, you know, Know, different types of alternative or high-end treatments that people can't get in, you know, one single place. And so that allowed me to, you know, foresee, you know, other opportunities where we can impl uh, implement different uh, treatment programs that we could uh, fully manage the patient. Because one thing is, you know, people always defer to their primary care physician, which is fine. But, you know, a lot of, th a lot of times the primary care physician doesn't know about these services because they weren't trained on it. So, you know, going back and forth with them, I decided, you know, why don't we just become the primary care destination where we can manage and, and, and handle all these different services. And then for things that require specialists, we will go out and seek out specialists and we will discuss what we're doing and, you know, get their recommendations. So when we send patients to them, they are, are abreast of, you know, the type of treatment and services that we provide. And so the continuity of care is there. And that's the biggest thing. You shouldn't go to one doctor and then he's saying to someone else and they completely have no idea what the other one is doing. It needs to be some communication because the fallout is with the patient because they can sense and they get fearful when they're like, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, he said something different. So you want to make sure there's continuity uh, in what you're doing, that you have research to support your, support your treatments. And so we went out and we got the research and we went and talked to the experts. You know, we went to the universities, we went to the research facilities, we went to the FDA and we figured out what was the best protocols and treatments we could put together that were safe uh, to treat patients in, uh, in, to in totality. And, you know, we're, it's a continuous improvement, but we're, we're on that track. Yeah, so you didn't just pull this out of thin air. You, I mean, you actually <laughs> did a lot of research. Huh? It takes a lot of research because you're dealing with, you know, people's health. I mean, if we were talking about tennis shoes or something, we could just come up with it. But, you know, basically looking at concepts that are out, you know, we joined a lot of, I joined a lot of uh, organizations that were, that were geared towards anti-aging regenerative medicine. Went and listened to a lot of lectures, uh, you know, FDA studies that were published. I went and, you know, found the authors, talked to them, got supplemental information. So it was a lot of research. I mean, we have volumes of research in our 
office that, you know, support what we do. Just for our clinical stuff, you know, we have a binder uh, with over a thousand, I was going to pull it out, with over a thousand pages just on, you know, basic, uh, you know, nourishments and things of that nature. So each volume is on a different thing, you know. So uh, you can never have enough research, you know. Having that to support what you do is, you know, it's very, uh, you know, advantageous to your business, you know, and it's, you know, uh, I encourage all people to do that, you know. Right. And did you ever go and get like certified in hormone injections or, you know, is your research basically your self-certification process? Well, no, I, I didn't use it as my self-certification process. So we actually, you know, brought in specialists, uh, had them review our protocols. We went to CME uh, training, uh, everything that's considered prudent. And the thing about, you know, you know, CME training, you know, that's why it needs to be continuous. Because even though it's CME, it doesn't mean you're an expert. It doesn't mean that, oh, I went to CME training, I know what I'm doing. It takes more than that. You need to talk to board certified people. You need to see what these same treatments are being implemented, the follow-up, the long-term effects. And so, you know, in the situation I'm in currently, I have access to experts in cardiology, experts in endocrinology, experts in age management. And they come into our office, review what we're doing, you know, critique us, you know, tell us these different things and make sure that we are operating at the highest level of efficacy that we possibly could. So you have to get ex experts. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, if you, you know, go work at a company like Apple or Walmart, they don't just, you know, at some point they bring in contracted people that are experts in different fields because they want to get better. You know, you have to look for continuous improvement. If you just look to your own knowledge, that's limiting. So you have to look for people outside of your knowledge base that have a much higher plane of thinking. And that's how you stay on the road for continuous improvement and making sure that you've implemented everything possible and correlating uh, your, your patient's uh, treatment and their results. And sometimes you just don't think of everything. You could bring in an old school doctor who's like, in my practice, we did this. Have you thought about this? And it could just be a round table, but having people who are practicing in other places, it makes your experience compounded. So instead of like, well, I've been in practice 10 years, well, you're sitting at a table uh, with people that have been in practice 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 75 years, and the collective experience and dialogue that's going to happen from there is going to be tremendous, and it's hard to replicate. So always try to find, you know, higher resources and higher level of experience because that can impact you tremendously. If they say, look, for every patient in this scenario, you need to treat, you know, treat for this or you need to check for this, because if not, then you can be sued or this can happen. Now, I had a patient, you know, go over a case study. This person had Raynaud's phenomenon, and, you know, my staff didn't know what that was. So maybe if you, you know, impl implement this and make sure you do questionnaires and look for clinical presentations of this uh, presentation, you can protect yourself, you know, so knowledge is, is, a, is a driving force. That's the experts, you know, that's getting the CMEs and the follow-up and the discussions. And sometimes you just have questions like, I saw this lab, I don't know if it correlates with anything, you know, what would you do with it? Or how would you interpret that? How would you treat that? Is that anomaly? Or you just, you know, throw that into the regular recourse of that's just that, on pa that, that individual patient's uh, chemistry and that type of thing. So, you know, asking other questions, asking people questions is, 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 uh, is essential, you know, to, to your process. Yeah. And, and, and especially in business, uh, you know, always keeping those uh, avenues of communication open, like your whole business is dependent on your ability to communicate with your customers, with your partners, with your referral partners, your affiliates, whatever it is. Uh, if you can't, if you don't have those type of relationships, you just, you have nothing like it's just gonna, it's not going to do well. 
Um, now, I was introduced to you by Robin Alex, uh, who is, uh, he was on uh, my podcast doing Innovate, his company Innovate Fast, which is a marketing company. And I know he uh, has helped you with, with some marketing. Um, what, did you do your own marketing at first? And at what point did you bring Robin in? And what is the effect of having professional marketing in your, in your company? Initially, I thought I could do the marketing. Uh, we all do. We all do. When you look, when you look up I'll the read word a book. <laughs> when you look up the word marketing, it doesn't even give you a description. Marketing is so much, it can't even be encompassed by the word marketing. It is your actual market presence. It's everything about you, your brand, your visibility, your personality. So once the longer you're in business, you start to understand that because people equate different you know, uh, aspects of yourself with your business. So you just have to be very careful about that. And, you know, going down the road I was on, I, was, I thought I could outspend everything. You can buy marketing. You can buy the, the clients. There may be some truth to that, but at some point you reach an oversaturation and you're throwing money away. And without having experts in that field, I don't have a degree in marketing and advertising. I was just going basically off the cuff, books I read. And so once I saw that I wasn't getting the results I was looking for, then I said, hey, I've been doing this for a while. I haven't been getting anywhere with it time for me to get some additional help. So I actually went through a couple of different marketing firms and individual marketers. And it doesn't mean that they were bad, but sometimes some people just don't jive well with your business. Some people just look differently. And when I met Robin, we hit it off from day one. And I mean, and uh, you know, we've been in business together for, for several years now. And uh, you know, he helped me redesign my website, helped to program it, and even other components of digital marketing and uh, you know, actual interaction within our our own office space. I mean, marketing is everything. Your concept, what people see when they come to your office, what they think about and fill up to you leave your office. So it's not just a singular component or a perspective, you know. So once you get that in your head, I mean, there's multiple modalities to incorporating uh, different things to increase your presence and improve the presence that you may or may not already have. And at this point, uh, I've built probably eight other companies. Uh, in conjunction with uh, Alex, uh, using his same uh, formulas and uh, uh, the marketing and different uh, advertising techniques that he has developed to help build volume and uh, generate leads and clients and things of that nature. So it's it's a it's a it's a it's a very complex machine to say the least. But marketing is never simple. Yeah, is that something that you would recommend uh, people that are just starting out? So nurses just starting out with their business, would you recommend that they invest in marketing to start out with or just kind of do a patch together, do it yourself type of, of thing until they get to a certain level? Well, the thing is, people always say I don't have the money. But yeah. marketing <laughs> has to be a consistent part of your budget because you can't build a business without marketing. So that's a part of you know business one-on-one, -on -one, learning what the essentials are. And, there, and, if, and the thing is, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's look at Fortune 500 country, companies. And look, you mean, obviously you start out with a small budget, but you have to have a budget for marketing. You know, so I mean, that's, that's you know, quite, even if it's like, well, all I can buy this month is brochures. Okay, then great. And you're going to maximize that budget for brochures. Or I'm going to spend money on digital advertising. You just maximize that budget until you can grow out, you know, you know, grow and expand it. But you, there has to be a mainstay. That's, that's a requirement. And once you understand the, the physics of how business is set up and the financial intangibles, you incorporate that and you will start to see return on that investment. If not, then you need to change that course. Like instead of buying brochures, I think I'm going to buy signs and place them here. 
But, you know, if you had the resource, you had the funding. A lot of times it doesn't cost anything to at least sit down with a marketing expert or a team because they want to earn your business. So they're at least going to tell you, hey, this is what I recommend. You tell them that the budget you have and see what they're capable of working with. And sometimes they may or may not be able to, to do anything, but I can guarantee they can give you some suggestions. So having a conversation doesn't cost anything. And so there are a number of marketers out there. So you can look, find the one that's right for you or at least consult with them and see if you can get some uh, consistent information that can help direct your path or where you start out at. Because sometimes doing your own marketing is the worst thing you can do. But you want to make sure you don't make those mistakes. So like I said, you know, information is free, even if you just Google. I mean, look stuff up, utilize resources, and kind of figure out what works in your market space or for what uh, goal you're trying to achieve. Yeah, you know, I've, I've done a lot of my own marketing over the years, and I've just have gotten to a point in my business where I'm just like, I don't want to do the marketing. This is the one I want to focus on. Like, it's like, it, it's a time suck. It's sucking all my time, and I can't focus on the things that I need to do to move the business forward because I'm trying to figure out how to do this Facebook ads thing again, and it's just not worth the time to focus on that kind of stuff. And it, you do get to a certain level where you're like, I just, I need somebody to, to do this for me. One thing you learn when you're being in business is that you can't strive for perfection, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, there was a great football coach for the Green Bay Packers. His name was Vince Lombardi. And he said, um, we will strive for perfection, you know, in everything that we do. We will not achieve perfection, but in our strive for perfection, we will achieve excellence. So if you try to be a perfectionist, you're just going to be frustrated, going to be overwhelmed, and it's going to be very uh, uh, depressing for you. It's going to be overwhelming. But, you know, just try to be excellent because the I thing about say. it is, as your business grows, you know, you have to delegate. And when you delegate, things are not going to be perfect. All I's aren't going to be dotted. All T's aren't going to be crossed. I mean, that is the reality. So you have to learn how to say, for the greater good, moving forward and progressing. You know, sometimes things, if you had to take it off your plate, it takes a little bit of a step back. It's not a bad thing, but that is just the road to, you know, being successful, you know. So just try to achieve excellence and continuous improvement. But you're not going to be perfect, so don't try to be. That's true. So, Chris, uh, tell me or uh, tell us what uh, you do for what kind of consulting services, what you're really focused on, and how you can help people in the group, or you know, what kind of your overall offering today, or or what you're focused on. So, you know, if, if you don't hear anything else, you know, from what I've said today, it is you know, the journey is yours. There's no tomorrow. You start today. And so the greatest uh, thing that we're doing right now for a lot of our clients is just give them a push. Like, hey, let me push you off the cliff to get going. So, you know, uh, we have a new landing page and have a new website called startamedspa.com. It's not all about starting a med spa, but it is about giving people the tools they need to get started. Maybe they're passionate about Maybe they're passionate about transitional medicine. Maybe they're passionate about IV therapy. Maybe they're not even a medical person at all. But, you know, I've spent, you know, millions of dollars developing and uh, perfecting the different resources that I have from the contracts to the templates. I have my own GPO for purchasing that makes sourcing very easy. So we want to put that all together in a single package for, you know, different entrepreneurs and people looking to do it themselves. Give them the toolbox they need to say, hey, you want to start a business? Here's that toolbox. So I encourage everyone to go to startupmedspot.com, put in your information, and at least get started and kind of let's figure out what you need to, to get your business off the ground. Now, obviously, for people who are a little bit more advanced and want uh, you know, a direct consultation or training 
for on-site services or even one-on-one -on -one dialogue. Uh, you know, definitely give them my information. They can reach out uh, and we can set that up for them. Set that up for them. Uh, I actually consult for the largest hormone replacement uh, clinic uh, in the country. Uh, I consult for different uh, medical practices and groups. Uh, I consult for technology companies. And it's not that, oh, I'm a leading expert. It's because I'm resourceful and uh, I find a way. I don't give up. So if there's a problem, you know, I'm all about finding solutions. When people say, oh, they can't be done, they can't be done. Challenge, challenge accepted. <laughs> Good so, you know, I try to always find, find a way. I want yeses and not noes. So whatever it takes to get to that yes, you know, that's what I want to do. So if you're looking for someone to help you with that process and help you put those thoughts together or help, you know, keep you from stepping in, uh, you know, something that you don't want to get into, you know, feel free to reach out, give me a call. And, you know, with my knowledge and experience and, you know, what I've accomplished as well as my failures, you know, I can help impart that on you. You learn as much from your failures as you do your successes. And, you know, if anyone tells you, you know, they paint this picture, oh, I'm a great business person, I'm a great at this, and they don't have any horror stories, and that's probably not a person you want to do business with. As much as I succeeded, I have failed. I failed bad. I failed miserably. I've spent and wasted tons of money. But you know what? I've learned from that, and I'm not going to make those mistakes again. You know, I'm continuously trying to improve my leadership. And, you know, when I do make mistakes, I admit to them, and I say, look, yeah, I made a mistake in the area. How can I improve and get better? You know, and so that is a big part of it as well, self-development. You know, so you know, feel free to use me as a resource. Uh, go to startamedspa.com if you have questions or just thinking about different things. Feel free to reach out. Uh, I'll go ahead and give out my uh, email address. It's uh, chrischappelle509 uh, at gmail.com. It's actually my personal email and not my business email. So feel free to reach out at any given time, and hopefully I can impart upon you some of the, the wisdom and part of the dumb that uh, I've come to acquire uh, over this period of time. That's two P's and two L's, right? That's correct. C-H-R-S-C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L-509 at gmail.com. All right. I'll be sure to put those in, in the notes and in the Facebook group. Um, all right. Well, you know, this has been absolutely amazing. I'm sure you're going to get inundated with requests because <laughs> this has been an awesome, awesome interview. Um, you're just like a, a just fascinating and inspiring nurse for all of us. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Oh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity and, uh, you know, giving me a chance to, you know, share some of my story and, and hopefully I can inspire others and, and hopefully keep them from making some of the mistakes that I did. All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Have a good day.